Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about Good Friday. We're going to talk about something Dr. Fauci said in a church in Texas that has a brilliant plan for Easter egg hunts. That and more is coming up on The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Good afternoon. Good Friday to you all. It is me. It is I. It is me. Ian Simpkins, <laughs> along, with, <laughs> along with Brian Fromm, and we're speaking in pirate today, apparently. And uh, man, oh man, what what a wild week we've had. I mean, yeah. I feel like I'm saying that every week now, but uh, it's been a whirlwind and everything has sort of, it's, it's beginning to bleed together a little bit. And there's something about the rhythm of Holy Week that I'm finding oddly comforting, even though today is such a heavy day. And I don't know, I mean, do you guys typically celebrate Good Friday at your church? We do, and we will tonight as well. And, uh, you know, obviously in a very different way. But like you, uh, I have always enjoyed, and it's, to use the word enjoyed is a weird way to put it, but I've always enjoyed Good Friday. I feel like uh, the gravity of Good Friday sets you up for the celebration of Easter Sunday. And so yeah, right. I think it's real important to slow down and and feel the weight uh, of of what Jesus went through when he went to the cross. And just because we know the end of the story doesn't mean that you skip over it. And so right. uh, I do, I, I do. I've, I've always appreciated good Friday. And like you said, there's something even more poignant about it this year with all that we're going through. Yeah. And I, I also wanted to, uh, to give a nod to our team at community Christian church, because they put together an incredible experience for tonight, wherever you're listening from, by the way, from 5.30 to 7 p.m., we're having like an interactive Zoom prayer walk for Good Friday, and anyone can be a part of that. And then at 7 p.m., uh, this is Central Standard Time, we have our Good Friday service. You can learn more if you want at communitychristian.org slash Easter, and then you just click on Good Friday. So I, I we've done some prayer walk type things in the past, but to uh, to see how this plays out in a digital context to me is I'm I'm just so impressed by them and the work yep. they've done. Where where can people go to see a uh, see the service you're doing at Four Corners? Yep, we're going to do it on Facebook Live. Uh, uh, so you go to Four Corners Community Church on Facebook Live, and uh, we are going to start uh, right at six o'clock. And there's uh, we're just going to try to uh, like everything is toned down right now. Um, but yeah, we're going to end the show here and then hop on there. And I'm excited for it. It is. Uh, like I said, um, Scott Sauls talked about a little bit yesterday, right? Like we're, we're having to strip some of the uh, other stuff away that we would normally do. And it's just right. uh, to be able to sing some of those songs that focus us on uh, the death of Jesus. And then just to, uh, to kind of uh, sit in the heaviness of it. We're going to read something later uh, to wet everybody's palate, something that you wrote that I think uh, does a good job to help us uh, get get kind of laser focused on what exactly Jesus went through uh, on that Friday, uh, and so yeah, that's uh, that's where you can find us. But I'd, I'd encourage you. Uh, the beauty of the internet is you can find lots of services out there tonight and on Easter. So I'd encourage you to get locked in if your if your church isn't doing that. Well, uh, in a, in a minute too, I want to ask you, Brian, uh, a pastoral question: Why do we call Good Friday good? It's a question that. I'm sure both of us have heard a number of times, but before we do that, there's a pastor named Jonathan Martin, and uh, he's got a podcast that I think is really great, but a little earlier, he shared just a snippet from that podcast, and it's just a short two-minute meditation 
on Good Friday. And I just thought it was really beautiful, really profound. So we're going to listen to that. And then with the time we have left, Brian, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about why do we call Good Friday good? So let's hear that now. It's Good Friday. And both in the text and in the news, and really the text is the news, I feel that same dread in my stomach. This cannot end well. The sense of foreboding can be trusted, a faithful witness to Good Friday. It doesn't feel like everything will be okay, because it won't be. The message of Good Friday is that things aren't going to end well. Things just end. Violence will always run its course. Hope will be bloodied. Today reminds us that death has the last word on all of us. The message of Easter is that the last word isn't the final one. Holy Week does not lie to us. It doesn't say our stories won't reach dark ends. Only that our dark ends won't be love's end, God's end. On Good Friday, we remember that death is an inescapable, cold, hard fact. On Easter, we will remember that the mere facts may not yet be the story. Even so, Easter is not PR, not God's spin on death. It tells the whole terrible truth of death and of what comes after. Death is reality just not the ultimate one. Easter is the proclamation that even death must bow to possibility. Today is not a day for burying our heads in the sand, just for burial. Denial won't serve us well. We have to get all the way into the tomb. I kind of wish we honored Good Friday by not making anybody get out of bed today. I wish we could tell ourselves it's okay just to feel heavy or hurt or just not to feel much of anything at all. Buried God, we spend so much of our lives trying to escape the weight of the darkness in our world and in ourselves. It's exhausting. Okay, so yeah, when I heard that for me, it was like, I don't know. It's odd to say refreshing because it yeah. is such a heavy day, but there is a an honesty in his words that I've always appreciated about Good Friday across the globe. It just seems like this is the day where Christians in particular are almost given permission to just let things be heavy. And like, Mm. could there be a more appropriate day in the midst of a pandemic for us to just like sit in our grief? And so we, you know, traditionally for a long time called it Good Friday. Can you unpack a little bit about why that actually is? Yeah, let me just read from Desiring God website. I thought they did a good job with it uh, in an article entitled Why We Call the Worst Good Fr- uh, Worst Friday Good. Uh, they said, never has Joseph's banner flown so truly as it did on that day. What men meant for evil, God meant for good. And if this day of all days bears not only the fingerprints of sinners for evil, but also the sovereign hand of God for good, how can we not fly that banner over the great tragedies and horrors of life? Since God himself did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. God wrote good on the single worst day in the history of the world. And there is not one day, not one trauma, not one loss, not one pain over which God cannot write good for you in Christ Jesus. Satan and sinful man meant that Friday for evil, but God meant it for good. And so we call it Good Friday. Mm. Um, 
that's David Mathis over at Desiring God. You know, I remember being a kid and being like, oh, wait, we're talking about death and the cross and we're calling it good and that being really confusing. And, uh, but I think uh, at the heart of the good news uh, of the Easter weekend of Holy Week is the fact that Jesus willingly laid down his life for us and uh, that the act itself, uh, what he went through was not good, uh, yeah. but why he did it and the results of it uh, were good for us. And so it, it's a weird way to say that we can celebrate uh, an execution, <laughs> something so horrible, right, uh, right. but we can celebrate why he did it uh, and what it affords us and be, be thankful for that. I read another article too that uh, Christians across numerous traditions are calling for a Good Friday fast in response to the pandemic. And I think that's really appropriate too. something like a fast in the midst of all this uncertainty and all this worry. And there's another article at Christianity Today that I saw. It said, uh, seeing my child face death made me rethink the passion. And I'll just share how the article ends and we'll post all this on the Facebook page because I just think it was a really unique, timely way to, to frame a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Um, what they say is what we can say confidently is that Jesus' suffering is unique and atoning because of his person, son of God, and mission as a Messiah. Aside from perhaps his perfect love, his physical suffering did not have inherent divine qualities to it as if he could endure longer because he was God. On the contrary, until the resurrection, no one thought he was God because he was suffering and death seemed so normal. And it ends by saying, of course, the good news wins out in the end. Redemption will prevail. The sun will reign over all and love is the final word. But Good Friday and Easter came at a cost. These holidays point to God's eternal love. But now I know it wasn't easy because he is God and it was difficult because he is a father. Mm-hmm. And I, for me, and we'll end, like you said earlier, uh, we're going to end the show with a Good Friday meditation just to sort of frame today for us. But uh, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for an opportunity to talk about this because I think, it's, I think it's an important thing. And like you were saying, when we actually sit in Good Friday, it makes the glory of Easter just that much more profound. We're well, coming up next, a, a post that I saw a couple of days ago. The uh, headline is this, Isolation, Separation, and the Surprising Patterns of God. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, plus wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you're listening and you've ever, you know, meandered over to the Facebook page, let me tell you a couple of things. One, that's where we post all of our articles. If there's ever anything we've referenced, you're like, oh man, I wish I could read the whole thing. It's all there. Plus, we encourage debate and discussion. So on a lot of those articles, people are having uh, their own discussions around the topics. Plus, you can send us messages there if you have an idea for a show or a topic or an interview or an angle. Uh, we really would love for this show to serve you all well. So uh, if you feel so inclined, you can go and do that even right now while I talk. And um, there's a guy named Randy Garris. He works at uh, Ozark Christian College. And he wrote this post called Isolation, Separation, and the Surprising Pattern of God. So what I what I want to do, if that's okay, Brian, is just I'm going to read it and then give you some space just to respond to it. Because okay. I'm not, I've not read anything really quite like this, um, may, maybe ever, but most certainly in the midst of all this Right. Pandemic and quarantine. So here, here's what he writes. He says, connectedness, togetherness, fellowship. One would be a fool not to see their irreplaceable value in the development of deep godly lives. Those connective words are always part of the biblical pattern, except when they're not. 
One glimpse into God's discipling toolbox reveals another and unexpected tool, very often uninvited, but commonly utilized by him for the development of depth within his people and the advancement of his kingdom. He uses isolation and separation. He uses them unapologetically and liberally. For Abraham, it was the isolation of the wilderness in a foreign land to become the father of faith. For Joseph, it was the separation into a foreign prison, foreshadowing the one who suffers to save his brothers. For Moses, it was an exile to the sheep in the mountain, meeting God on holy ground. For David, it was years in the wilderness, dodging a murderous king, becoming a man after God's own heart. For Elijah, it was a lonely sequestered in a, in a wadi so remote that only the ravens were his company, experiencing more of the power of God than any other prophet. In the New Testament, isolation and separation are still a part of God's purposes. Jesus in the wilderness, Paul in Arabia, John in exile to Patmos being three examples. In each incident, something profound occurs. Heaven and earth seem to meet. So how about your isolation and separation? Is it possible God has more in mind for you than just quarantine from a virus? Most of us have grown comfortable living life in the middle of an eight-lane highway. We've settled ourselves on one of those dotted yellow lines and grown accustomed to the traffic and the pace. Yet that deafening normal comes at a cost. For there are parts of God and parts of myself I cannot know until isolation and separation violently force me to waken from my frenetic and numbing routine. Henry Nouwen was a prolific writer, teacher at Harvard, Yale, and Notre Dame. And then he stepped away into his own separation. He said it bluntly and honestly. Without quiet and solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. The voice that Elijah heard while alone on the mountain, 1 Kings 19, is the same voice most of us crave to hear, and Elijah heard a quiet whisper. The literal translation is he heard a silent voice. Maybe the God of isolation and separation has something soft to say. Maybe he has been saying it, and we have been in no position to hear it. Well, let's go hear it. There has to be 12 easy steps that you can take right now to hear that quiet voice. Hurry, hurry, surely someone already has posted on the World Wide Web for us. Oh, I am certain something is already there. But Abraham, Joseph, Elijah, John, they had no control over the timing, the place, or the voice. What if we don't either? What if it is only a patient hunger, quietness, and a relentless worship I can bring? What if the only thing I can do is wait and look? It is a poverty to be so restless that you cannot peacefully wait. Blaise Pascal, the great scientist and Christian mind of the 1600s, wrote, I have discovered that all the unhappiness of men arises from one single fact, that they are unable to stay quietly in their own room. Isolation and separation may initially traumatize and be an unwanted gift, but maybe, just maybe, they really are a saving gift. Food is good, but there's value in a fast. Productivity is essential for human life and also is Sabbath. Companions are a sweet gift, yet there is a quieter gift I also need. And maybe a pandemic might be used by God to rescue me from the pandemonium. If I am willing, if I am quiet, if I am looking. What do you think, Brian? Man, I, I honestly, for as much as I've studied the Bible and been in the Bible, I've never taken uh, much thought of that, uh, the number of, of uh, characters who end up being isolated for a specific purpose. That's powerful. Yeah, right. Um, through the Old Testament into the New Testament, uh, the number of times 
uh, where where men and women are removed from the hustle and bustle, and, and that's where God speaks. And you know, you and I talked about it uh, over the last week or two that um, maybe one of the fruits of all of that we're going through right now is a resetting, is a reminder of not just what's important, but the importance of slowing down, the importance right, of right. taking a deep breath, the importance of uh, reading and prayer and family. Um, I was just talking to somebody yesterday uh, or this morning, and he said we were talking about our kids' schedules and how different it's been, and we both acknowledged it's actually been really nice. And and uh, he said, I didn't realize how busy my kids were <laughs> until, mm-hmm. until this. And so – uh, using this, um, you know, possibly uh, this kind of timeout, this pause button, uh, especially for those of us who don't get affected by the virus, you know, physically, health-wise. Right. Um, using it as an opportunity to kind of reorient around what's important. Right. And, and then taking, most importantly, taking some of that into whatever that new normal becomes. Man, that's powerful. And I, I love this picture. That's going to stick with me. This biblical picture of isolation and removal, I think, is is not an accident. Let's put it that way. Right. Well, and what I find so interesting, too, especially like, for example, with the Elijah example, before the still small voice, the quiet, silent whisper, there's all this loudness, right? You know, yes. there's this, this fire and this earthquake. And it's to me, it feels like yeah, we sometimes, not sometimes, we often crave that, right? Like, God, just send me a lightning bolt. Or we're not even just in terms of God, send me something. Like, we like even the the big, you know, we talk about them as like mountaintop moments, right? And I'm not knocking them. I think, you know, once we're all done with this pandemic, I think retreats and conferences, I think that the raw, I think that can be really, really helpful. But sometimes right. it can create an almost an addiction to it. Like, Oh, I need to, like, I literally heard someone a couple of weeks ago talking about, Oh man, this has been hard for me because I really need my Jesus fix. And I was like, Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> oh man, I don't know if that's a helpful way. I get what they were saying. And they were too. just being, they were being honest with me too. So it's, I think God honors, you know, all of that, even our, our stumbling language, but there's a sense that yeah, fix. You're almost like implying there's a high involved. And I've, experienced some of those sort of mountaintop moments where you feel transcendent, but is there also not just like a place for, but like a depth that is birthed in us when we actually like sit in the Valley a little bit. And like what he's saying about, they didn't choose these times. It wasn't like, okay, this is time for my annual silent retreat where I'm going to go be with God. They were often interruptions. They were often inconvenient. And I think, man, talk about a time where we have some inconvenient right. isolation happening right now. Maybe there is something that we need to learn from it. Man, and that last, that last or second to last line, maybe a pandemic might be used by God to rescue me from the pandemonium. <laughs> like, yeah, I heard that. Right. Like, oh my gosh. Like if that's one good fruit that comes out of this, that the church and we as individuals, but also corporately, uh, learn a little bit of the value of slowing down and have some of our values reordered out of this. That could at least be a good fruit that comes out of this. Yeah. And again, that's from Randy Garris. He works at uh, Ozark Christian college that has been shared on our Facebook page. We highly encourage you to read it, print it out, share it with a friend because uh, that was really, really fruitful and helpful for us. Uh, coming up next, Dr. Fauci is making a suggestion that a lot of people are a little concerned about. We're going to talk about that coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. 
Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us, if you want, on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post everything, share everything, and you can send us messages and notes of encouragement. Brian and I are both words of affirmation people, so feel free to use that liberally. Um, you can also find us at 1160hope.com slash The Common Good and wherever it is you get podcasts. If you wouldn't mind, a little subscribe, rate, and review which is easy. It's easy to do too. It's just so convenient. If you're already listening to the podcast, you're probably already looking at our faces. Just hit the subscribe and then rate it and then type a little review. Just go like them or put a thumbs up emoji or any of that. It all helps us out. So anyway, for those of you who have, we really, really appreciate that. And uh, I mentioned a little earlier, Dr. Fauci made a comment that has a number of people a little concerned, a little worried. Before we dive into that though, a quick word about Thrivent. So Thrivent Financial uh, I'm a Thrivent member, have been for a while. They're a Fortune 500 not-for-profit. They've been around 100 years. Brilliant organization, brilliant company. I love their heart and their mission and the way they give back to people. And the I could talk for hours just about like the good things they're doing in the world. But if you're looking for a career change or you got kind of an entrepreneurial drive or you like coming alongside people and helping them, uh, this might be a really good fit. So you can just go to Thrivent.com slash careers. That's Thrivent.com slash careers or 630 598 2128. And uh, I cannot encourage you enough to give him a call. Okay. So I mentioned Dr. Fauci said something. I haven't said what that something is. Why don't you unveil, Brian? Yes. Well, Dr. Fauci, who uh, we've all come to know and uh, is a calming voice, uh, at least for most of us through this, uh, he said, so he starts off by this. He said, when you gradually come back, you don't just jump in with both feet. You say that uh, what are the things that you could still do and still approach normally? One of them is absolutely compulsive hand washing. And then he says this, here's the moneymaker. Mm. I don't think we should ever shake hands ever again, to be honest with you. Mm. Not only would it be good to prevent coronavirus disease, it would probably, uh, it probably would decrease instances of influenza dramatically in this country. And so he has said a lot of stuff, but this got some headlines because he's not just saying, Hey, until we're out of the woods with this, uh, until we flatten the curve, uh, until we know we're He's saying, Hey, if we're up to me and this guy, you know, he is the director of the national Institute of allergy and infectious disease. Uh, he says, I think we should do away with the handshake. And, uh, that one, my, even me and my kids, we were joking about it today. Like, what would that be like? But I even heard a radio show today trying to talk about all the different places we shake hands and what would that be like? What, when you hear that, are you like, that's even possible? Or I didn't even think of that. So I was kind of surprised by that. Yeah. I'm, I don't know that I'm surprised by it, but like you were saying, this isn't just some guy with a microphone. This is a guy with authority and expertise, which is probably why people are responding the way that they are. I don't know, man. I think I'm like just a little too much a hippie to really want to abide by that ever, to be honest. But I have given a lot of thought because, you know, like he's implying here and he said in other interviews, you know, once this is lifted, it's not it's not just going to be business as usual. Like to speak bluntly at both of our churches, it's not going to be first Sunday doors are open. One hundred percent of everyone returns like we know that's not going to happen. And I've already started to think in my head, all right, well, I'm kind of a hugger. Do I still hug exactly. people? Do I like stand awkwardly with my hands in my pocket and sort of nod? Especially when it's like, I mean, I haven't seen these people and yes. you know, it's going to be a month plus like 
that that I realize in the grand scheme of things is a minor thing to worry about when people are literally losing their lives and jobs and retirements. I completely understand the comparison is non-existent, but it has really been a thing that I've, I've given some serious thought and I don't know what the answer is. So when I read things like this, I think, gosh, are people going to take that advice? Is he right? Like, is it selfish of me to still want to shake people's hands Mm. and to give them hugs and to put an arm around them when they're grieving or, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know that I'm personally, and this is not a political or theological statement at all. I don't know that I'm ready to give that up, I guess. Yeah. But I I recognize that a lot of that is selfishly motivated. So if someone was like, Hey, for the, for the good and betterment of your neighborhood and community and church, you need to not like, I would understand that, but I don't know. It's a, it's a tough, that's a tough needle to thread, man. I don't know where you land on that. It is like you, I I've said this before on the show. Uh, probably my favorite thing to do on a Sunday morning as a pastor, even uh, I love preaching. I love singing all this stuff. One of my favorite things is I still go stand at the back door and hug and shake everybody's hands. Like, right. just, uh, and I love that. And, and even before Dr. Fauci said this, I was talking to someone the other day going, is that, you know, what's that going to be like when we first come back? I, I picture myself kind of standing off to the side a little bit and almost letting people dictate how they want to interact with me, you know? Right, right. Uh, but yeah, to have somebody kind of definitively of this stature say, quit with the shaking of hands uh, is, is somewhat sobering. It highlights for me a bigger question that you and I have started talking about is just how different is life going to be in the short right. term and the long term? Like I think in the short term, we're all going to be nervous uh, to go to the store. We're all going to be nervous. We're all going to be avoiding shaking hands probably like there's going to be, but, but like, what are the, what is the long-term change that COVID-19 and all of this pandemic has brought? What are the long-term changes that all of us are going to feel like? At what point do we feel comfortable? Even if the government says you can, at what point are you going to feel comfortable going to a concert or going to a, a sporting event? Um, it's just wild to think about. We don't have the answers to those questions yet. Right. But like, right. I, it's not like a light switch where all of a sudden, you know, uh, Dr. Fauci or president Trump or governor Pritzker says, okay, you can go and everything's back to normal. It's going to be this process. And I just, I have a really hard time picturing right now, like the, you know, the nervousness I feel going into jewel right now, like that's not going right. to go away right away. Right. Um, or, you know, when the sporting events start back up and they're like, okay, fans can go back. I'd be like, ah, gosh, I love going to sporting events, but I don't know. And, and then how does that, you know, what effect does that have on church? <laughs> you know, when, right. when we open up and turn on the lights again, how, do, you know, what does that mean? I don't know. I'm rambling a little bit because there's so many tentacles to this that, that are so hard to predict. And then to hear him be like, I think for good of our society, we should quit shaking hands. You're like, man, life is going to be different. Uh, the question is just how different is it going to be? Well, and it raises all sorts of other questions, too, about a theology of the body or mm-hmm. a theology of embodiment or incarnation. And is are there, and I would venture to say yes, are there spiritual, is there spiritual significance to one's capacity to hug or hold or physically interact? Is it more than just simply, oh, and no, an embodied theology simply means that we can gather physically together. All that matters is that we're in the same room together. Um, I, I think that there's a psychosocial, spiritual, emotional um, significance yeah. to what type of physical interaction 
we can and can't have. We know, I mean, plenty about what happens in the brain at a hug, uh, at being in the same room as a in-person laugh. Like there's, a, there's good research um, to at, at least point to the significance of these things. And like what you're saying is you're, you feel or will feel some level of awkwardness still going to the grocery store, but we're yep. not all going to progress at the same rate either. Right. That's what makes all of this so tricky yep. because one person might be totally fine with it the moment that they see the press release or whatever and someone else, it could be years. And that is where I'm really fascinated to see the ways that humanity um, considers the other person, regardless of where they're at emotionally, spiritually, physically, whatever, like I'm curious to see the ways that we accommodate and consider the other person's comfort level, maybe more than we have in a long time. And maybe that's a, a thin silver lining that like, yeah, I, I feel comfortable in this space, but I know that plenty of people won't. And so because, because that, that is important to me that you know that I value your boundaries or your comfort level, I'm going to refrain. I don't know. I just think that there's a lot to learn and there's a lot of question marks and a lot of things we just don't simply know about, but it'll be, it's going to be really fascinating to see how that all kind of plays out. It is. There's going to be books and studies and more books and class, college classes taught yeah. on, on right. what this next decade is going to look like. Yeah, no kidding. Well, coming up next, here's the uh, headline. Social distancing is no stumbling block for Texas churches' Minecraft Easter egg hunt. You are not going to want to miss this story. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Well, hi again, everybody. My name's Ian Simpkins, still still also with Brian Fromm. Not actually with. I mean, I guess, does this count as being with? I think in this world that we live in now, being together on Zoom is, is as with as you can be. <laughs> you know, that's interesting. I wonder if the language of how we talk about those things will change because, like, uh, if I walked, if you, okay, let's say six months ago, you know, I walked into the studio and you were on the phone with somebody. You wouldn't say, hey, I'm, I'm with Josh right now. You're That's like, true. No, I'm, you said I'm on the phone with Josh, right? You wouldn't say with, would you? Uh, no. Yeah, I, don't think, I don't think so. It's even like, this is not at all what we're going to talk about, but like, um, do you have any idea why we say someone's in a movie, but they're on TV? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, try and reverse it. It sounds insane. Oh, that person was, was he on that movie? <laughs> I've never heard that before. <laughs> I think I have some theories as to why that is, why one feels awkward than the other. But I think um, in a similar way, though, a weirdly similar way, how we talk about withness in the coming months is actually going to change. That's, that's, uh, that's a prediction that I don't feel that strongly about, but I'm, I'll be curious about. Anyway. And will we continue to Zoom? I don't know. I think so. I think we should. I we should talk about that at a later show because I have some thoughts about that too. I am yeah. I am uh, I am actually re- I'm enjoying the opportunity to connect with people that we haven't seen in a while because everyone's home and Zoom is right. now it's now an acceptable medium. Anyway, I haven't done any of the particulars. If you want to find us on Facebook, you can do that. The Common Good Radio Show. There are Photoshop smiling faces. We'll greet you smiling smilingly. That's not a word. And uh, you can see all our articles. You can interact there. You can send us messages. You can find us at 1160hope.com slash the common good or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And I, I found this uh, article, Brian, out of religionnews.com. And the headline kind of says it all. Social distancing is no stumbling block for Texas Church's Minecraft Easter egg hunt. But before we dive into that, why don't you say some words? <laughs> Just <laughs> some words, right? All right. Any words in any go for it. 
During this coronavirus pandemic, we do know that so many businesses, unfortunately, have had to close their doors or reduce their hours. But we also know that there are still many businesses that are open and serving the public as best they can. So here's what we want to do. If you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. All one word, 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out the brief form and we'll be compiling all of that information and sharing it with our listeners. It's totally free, no catch. So go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. You know, I know I've said it before, but actually I really love that we're doing that. I do too. I, do. I think that's smart. I think, and actually it's sort of, is a good segue into this next story because like, obviously people have different professions and different spheres of influence and different skill sets. It has been really interesting to see the rich diversity of how people have adapted to what none of us really could have prepared for. Yep. And every once in a while, like someone does something, I go, I have no idea how you did that, but I'm really glad you did because I have no idea how to do that. But it's, I don't know. It's been really interesting to see the innovation at least to some degree that has come out of this. And one of the questions that a lot of people have been asking, and I got two little kids, like, what do we do about Easter egg hunts? Right? Like I had a, a buddy of mine, a former student of mine named uh, Andrew Harling, and he actually sent me a text this morning. And he says, hey, I, uh, I know you live in the area, so if you need something for your kids to do, we made a contactless Easter egg hunt. And they just did this like in their front yard. Like that's just his, 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 and their, his wife's uh, way of giving back and kind of trying to, support their community. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what this uh, particular church in Texas did? Well, did you say contactless? Yeah. How does it work? Did he tell you? Well, he sent me a picture. It looks like there's a bunch of eggs like spaced really far apart from each other. I'm not really sure how you can ensure not to put you on a spot, but that's really interesting. That's it is pretty interesting. And they, they created a, um, Oh, I see what it is. So then there's a form they created, a Google Doc, and it says, how many blue eggs can you find? How many striped eggs can you find? How many yellow eggs can you find? So you, so you look at the picture. Oh, Where is the golden egg located? Oh, that's pretty fun. That's awesome. See, some people are just much more creative. <laughs> but I love that, though. And it's not like a, it's not a ministry effort. Like, yeah. It's not sponsored by anybody. It's like, oh, we would just love to kind of give back to people. So they created this game for families to that's play really cool. in their homes. I love that. Yeah. Props. To Andrew and Becky Harling. Yep. So speaking of creative and uh, Easter egg hunts, uh, this article out of Religion News, it says last year, leaders at Tate Springs Baptist Church hid thousands of plastic eggs on its back lawn in Arlington, Texas. This year, they'll plan to do the same, except the eggs won't be on the lawn. Instead, they'll be in Minecraft. Since it was announced in March, Tate Springs virtual Easter egg hunt set for, set for Easter afternoon has grown into a national event, even catching the attention of the National Esports Association. Uh, they said it started out as a local event to reach our own people and also people in our community. And then people from all over the nation, churches and parents just started jumping on. Hmm. And then it just started going from there, said Jared Wellman, lead pastor, hosting the Easter egg hunt on Minecraft. Uh, a popular video game that allows players to build and interact in blocky uh, worlds populated with characters with names like Creepers and Steve. (laughs) It was the brainchild of Curtis James, the family pastor of the church. He said as stay-at-home orders took effect to slow the spread of the coronavirus, James said the family's family ministry team wanted to make sure young people still had a place to connect. It was easy for teenagers who already connected via text messaging and social media 
where the church was sharing resources with parents of younger children in a group chat, but that didn't do much to allow the kids to interact with each other. So one place he realized many of the kids were interacting was in Minecraft. Wow. Uh, he had played the game with his own children. A new part of the appeal for players is showing friends the worlds they built. So he built a Tate Springs world on Minecraft, <laughs> Minecraft, complete with a water park, and invited kids at the church to come to a Bible study in the game. He assured parents in a short video on the church website that there was no, quote, scary stuff, just open, creative building. How fascinating is that? Because all you ever hear are people complaining about Minecraft, like, oh, Minecraft, Minecraft. Wait, what? Who's complaining about Minecraft? Oh, parents. Most parents of this age. Not that it's a bad thing, but like kids are obsessed with Minecraft. I can't get my kid off of Minecraft. But there, this church has leveraged Minecraft and video games as a way to connect with the kids of their church. What a fascinating idea. How many centuries would have to pass before you came up with an idea like this? (laughs) Uh yeah, I, the, the only word that comes to mind with me is eternal. <laughs> That's such a pastoral answer. Like, I'm reading this. I don't know. I'm, tr- I'm really trying to be a silver lining guy right now, and I realize it's, it's Good Friday, and it's, it's sad and heavy and bleak in so many ways. But I look at this and go, and God bless you. I, there's just no way. There's no way I ever could have thought of something like that. And I'm, I would be curious to know after it actually happens, like, do you see any benefit to – keeping things like this, like, yep, we're going to do it again next year, regardless of what the, you know what I mean? Like, will any of these things stick or are they only, are they only happening like right now in this very unique moment? Yeah. Obviously the impetus of it is this unique moment, but I wonder, cause they're getting like, you know, they're getting na- nationwide right. uh, appeal for this. And he even said, uh, he admitted in Minecraft, it's very difficult to share the gospel, but the church plans to follow up with participating families afterward to help them connect with a church near them. Right, right. Uh, and so it, I would suspect that this church or other churches like it are going to do stuff like this. If they're going to make the connection, okay, our kids are in video games so much. Let's figure out a way to leverage that. But my guess is like you hinted at, or like you said, this wouldn't have come about without what we're going through right now. Which I, I wonder too, maybe, uh, maybe I'll plant a seed in your head, Brian, for next week. Like what are other things hmm. about the course of history that were invented or implemented and the original plan was for a brief season because of a particular you know, right. a pandemic or something in culture or economics that actually ended up sticking around because they found it to be so useful. I'd be curious to know if anyone's written an article like that because that would be fascinating to see what are the things that originally were launched with a very, very intentionally short shelf life that actually ended up living on for a century because everyone just saw them as so useful. That would be interesting. Well, coming up next, here's the headline. Uh, The church must advocate for the incarcerated during the COVID-19 pandemic. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here. And I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities and Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, 
but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about the church and how we advocate for incarcerated people during the COVID-19 pandemic. Also, searches online for a particular thing are way, way up right now. We're going to share that and some good news here on The Common Good. Everyone, welcome back to the Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the right Reverend Brian Fromm in the house. Well, not my house, in his house. In my house. In your in, in the bedroom, if I recall. That is truth. <laughs> I would yes. love for this just to be a uh, an informal poll. Is it weird or not weird that Brian is doing the show from his bedroom? What do you? I'm not think? doing it from in my bed. Like I'm not like under the covers. <laughs> Again, what I'm picturing is you're lounging with a robe. <laughs> and you're smoking a cigar, maybe? Is that, is that uh, accurate? Not, yeah, no. Smoking a cigar in, in my bedroom would not go over well. But no, I'm, <laughs> I'm in a chair looking out the window, looking at the sun. But uh, yeah, yeah now I'm staring at a wall. I wish I had a window. My if I were lounging in bed doing the show, I would, I would agree with you that that would be odd. That okay, be good. Weird. All right. Well, at least we agree on that. Um, you know what we also agree on is that people can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. 1160hope.com slash the common good, wherever they get podcasts. If you are a podcaster, if you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating, and reviewing, all of that does help us out a whole lot. You can also review the Facebook page. You can share it with a friend. You can send us messages. There's a lot to do, a whole lot to do. I don't know if, I mean, has there been any, has there been anything on our Facebook page that's made you nervous, Brian? Oh, sometimes I very rarely get nervous by what we post, but sometimes when I see the direction, I, you know, I'm that non-confrontational guy we've talked about. Right, right. And so when I see some confrontation going on between people on our page, I'm always a little bit like, uh, but it's fine. It's good. It's good. Uh, it's good debate back and forth. So I do enjoy it. I've never really felt weird about anything we've posted, but I mean, that's pretty good. It is cool though, because sometimes you see people talking and you're like, there's no way apart from this page would the two of these people ever be interacting. And sometimes it's really, really fruitful and you know, people help other people see perspectives a different way. And either way, all that to say, it's a great place to interact. And if you have suggestions, you can go there too. Uh, I mentioned it before the break. Here's the headline out of relevant. The church must advocate for the incarcerated during the COVID-19 pandemic. What's going on here, Brian? Yep. uh, Let me read the beginning of it. COVID-19 is affecting everybody, but like most catastrophes, The majority of us are inconvenienced, yet for the most vulnerable, it becomes another life and death experience. Mm. There has been lots of lively debate recently about releasing nonviolent offenders from jails, prisons, and juvenile detention facilities. But what has been missing for me in this discussion is how it impacts the most vulnerable who might soon be released and by implication, the rest of society too. Uh, Certainly a virus like COVID-19 infiltrating a jail is a cruise ship nightmare on steroids. And the reality is many of us are being held on bail in county. Uh, uh, the reality is many who are being held on bail in county jails are there simply because they can't afford the bail that more wealthy citizens can. In fact, on any given day, 60% of the U.S. jail population is composed of people 
who have not been convicted of anything but are too poor to post bail or to hire an attorney to work on their behalf. I, that wow. is something I never knew. 60%. Uh, that's wow. crazy. It continues. But let's think about who this 60% of the jail population is. They are largely the homeless, the addicted, those struggling with mental health issues, and the poor. Data from a national study in five major American cities shows that at the time of arrest, uh, anywhere from 63 to 83% of arrestees had drugs in their system. And according to mental health, uh, mental illness policy organization, more mentally ill persons are in jails and prisons than in hospitals, but to simply dump them on the streets may be creating long-term devastation for a short-term fix mm. without the much needed community resources being there to receive them. Most will end up back in jails now more likely to be infected with the virus than they might've been to being exposed to the staff entering the facility. So I'll stop there for one second. It does go on with some more stuff. Uh, I don't know if you saw it on the news, I believe, uh, and somebody can correct me if I get some of my stats, uh, some of my details here wrong, but outside of health facilities, the Cook County jail right now has the highest percentage uh, of coronavirus um, positives of anywhere in the country. I believe I got that correct. No kidding. Uh, So this is a real problem. Uh, like the cruise ships, like they said, once one person in a prison gets it, uh, how, how is that not going to spread, right? And so uh, it is a real um, conundrum of what to do with people in prisons. But beyond that, how do you, uh, a lot of us wouldn't even think of like, well, it's a prison, like, you know, what can you do? Uh, but this should break our heart and this should concern yeah. us, uh, even though there's not a really easy answer to it. Well, let me just read how Dr. Larson ends this article, and then you and I can uh, debate with the time we have left. He says, uh, keeping people locked up during a pandemic is not a good thing, but running to quick short-term solutions may also create much more long-term devastation than so many of our most vulnerable citizens can afford to endure. Hmm. Most of us will get through this, but not all of us. We are commanded to remember those in prison. That's Hebrews 13.3. Jesus said that how we treat the poor the sick and the imprisoned is how we ultimately treat him. That's Matthew 25, 45. Ultimately our churches must think about providing job training and opportunities for employment for ex offenders. And every church should offer recovery programs as well as parenting, financial budgeting and tutoring for many who have missed out on such opportunities because of incarceration. But that is for future days. We need to think of, think about and pray for those in prison right now where this is far more than simply mm. an inconvenience. And I'll Give props again. One of uh, the ministries of community is called Community Freedom, and that is way more than just simply planting churches in prisons. It's thinking through questions like these. Uh, yeah. I've been so grateful for people like Eric Dorsey and Andy Plummer and others who have been kind of leading the charge in this regard, bringing conversations like this to my mind and others' minds that, like you were saying, maybe you wouldn't otherwise normally think of this. Sure. And I'm, I'm wondering why, why is it that you think we often struggle to think about those who are incarcerated when it is so clearly in so much of what Jesus teaches and so much of what we kind of stamp on our creeds. Like why, why do you think prison ministry for so many is, is the, one of the easier ones to overlook? So um, putting myself in, in just taking a shot at that, I would say out of sight, out of mind would be one mm. of them. Okay. Uh Two, uh, especially if you don't have a loved one or somebody close to you in prison, you know, uh, yeah. two, there is, uh, I'm not speaking necessarily for myself here, but you know, kind of, you said, what could be behind this? 
there, there could just be a, a feeling of, uh, you know, people are in prison cause they deserve it. And whatever happens happens, right? Like, um, so therefore, uh, there could be this general sense of people in prison deserve a little bit less of our concern. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe that, but, but when you ask what, what could be behind that, I wonder if that's part of it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so a little bit of out of sight, out of mind, a little bit of justice and, and you know what, uh, prisons aren't meant to be nice places. And I could see it kind of going down that pathway. How would you, what are your thoughts where it's kind of comes to mind for you? Yeah, I would probably agree to some degree. I think there's, um, there is a certain level of I can deal with what I see, what's right in front of me, you know, and if you live in a city where, for example, maybe you see a lot of homelessness, like that's something that's sort of weighing on you regularly. I think there probably are some stigma things, even with regards to what you read at the very beginning, about 60% of the U.S. jail population is composed of people who have not been convicted of anything. That's incredibly sobering. Like yeah, that, I, I, I imagine there are probably a lot of people and we'll post this article to the Facebook page that also links to a whole lot of other articles. The one that I just referenced uh, is out of the Justice Policy Institute. Also, Dr. Larson leads what's called Straight Ahead Ministries. You can learn more at straightahead.org or you can go to communityfreedom.com and find out about some of the stuff that we're doing with our church because uh, there really is, I think, an increase in volume from people who have been saying these things for a while and I think, honestly, at least I'll throw myself under the bus. I think I'm paying attention for the first time. I, I honestly think a lot of people and probably even a lot of churches and church leaders have been saying these things. But for whatever reason, either I haven't listened or I haven't been paying attention or I have other stuff. You know what I mean? Like we can come up with all sorts of reasons why. But I think the very fact that this pandemic is exposing and we talked a little bit about, you know, what we're seeing in New York where the mega wealthy are obviously able to protect themselves and whatever, but the, the poor though are, I I mean, just disproportionately affected in catastrophic ways. I don't know. This article is short, but uh, I just found it incredibly convicting. Yeah. And like you said, it piggybacks on the articles we read about Chicago and about nationwide and about, um, you know, poverty and how that's being more people in poverty are being more acutely affected by this. I do think what this tells us is after this is done, there's going to be a bit of a reckoning and a hard conversation that needs to happen mm. because it has unearthed some stuff that's quite frankly uncomfortable. Yeah, I hope I, I hope you're right, man. Well, coming up next, here's a headline out of Christianity Today. Coronavirus searches lead millions to hear about Jesus. What is going on here? We're going to talk about that coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Well, hi again, everyone. How are you? I don't ask enough how you're doing. We're just sitting here talking back and forth all the time. How rude of us. How are you doing? <laughs> how are you feeling? No, go ahead. Give yourself some uh, some time and space to really respond. Maybe even say out loud, you know what? I am doing well, or I am <laughs> tired i have a one and two year old and haven't slept since either of them were born either way uh glad that you're here and if you want to find us you can uh go to facebook the common good radio show that's where we post everything you can send us messages you can also go to 1160hope.com slash the common good or wherever it is you get your podcasts and i mentioned it a little bit ago coronavirus searches lead millions to hear about jesus this is a topic that brian and i have We've had questions about, and we've, I think, presumed that some of this was happening, but this article kind of drills down a little deeper. Before we get into that, though, I want to tell you about Thriving Financial, and uh, some of you have heard me mention this a few times. I'm a Thriving member. 
I love Thrivent. They have like, for example, what are called action teams. So for Thrivent members that qualify twice a year, you can apply for like a, a, it's like a $250 seed money card to like give back to your community. Like it, that's, that's the qualifications. If it gives back, they'll give you 250 to buy food or to, you know, rent out a theater or whatever. Like it's amazing. It's amazing that they do the things like that, that they do. So if you're looking for a job change, which I know a lot of us maybe are, uh, you can go to thrivent.com slash careers. That's thrivent.com slash careers, or just call 630-598-2128 and just see if you might not be a great fit for the Thrivent team. Okay. So back to this article, coronavirus searches lead millions to hear about Jesus. The subheading is tens of thousands have clicked to pray for salvation since the outbreak. Is the increase temporary or a harbinger of greater gospel Mm -hmm. witness online? What do you think before we even get into the article? What do you think of that question? Uh, It's the $64,000 question right now, right? I think that all of us are going, are we more diving in the technology right now and virtual connections because that's all we've got? Hmm. Uh, Or have people discovered things that they didn't know were there before uh, that will continue even after we're not locked up in our houses or whatever else? I do think it's a little bit of the the, uh, $64,000 question, but... Uh, it's a fascinating article about things like the Billy Graham Evangelist, Evangelistic Association and the global uh, mission outreach and crew and, and the numbers of people that they're seeing connecting with them is pretty fascinating. Here's my question, though, Brian. Yep. Where did the dollar amount 64000 come from? It's that game show. The game show is called the 64000 It's the $64,000 pyramid. Remember that? I really don't. Was that no. before you? Yeah, it it might not have been, and I just didn't. I mean, I watched a lot of Price is Right. And that was oh, I watched some of that this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even know what to do with myself if I watched that and I wasn't sick. Like that was That's only true. stay home from school while you're sick. That's like having Taco Bell in the middle of the day. Like I don't, I wouldn't even know what to do with it. That's a very odd. Okay, so <laughs> now that we've bantered, uh, let me get into this article a little bit. It says millions of worried people who have turned to Google with their anxiety over COVID-19 have ended up connecting with Christian evangelists in their search results, leading to a spike in online conversions in March, which again, online conversions is maybe a phrase that not a lot of people are familiar with. In the Philippians, a woman named Grace found herself on a website about coronavirus fear hosted by the internet evangelism. Yeah, you read all that, right? Um, But what I think is so interesting is that this isn't just something that we're seeing in uh, like international cities and countries. Uh, it says back in the U.S., we're seeing a lot of this. Uh, three of the largest online evangelism ministries account cumulatively for at least 200 million gospel presentations on the internet each year. Wow. Between mid-March and late March, GMO saw a 170% increase in clicks on search engine ads about finding hope. Clicks mm. on ads about fear increased 57% and about worry 39%. The ministry's 12.4 million gospel presentations in March represented a 16% increase over the average month in 2019. This recent search corresponds with a broader finding by a University of Copenhagen professor. Internet searches related to prayer in 75 countries skyrocketed to their highest levels in five years. That's pretty interesting. What was happening in 2015 that would have caused such a spike? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So do you find do you find these numbers not even just the fact that it's increased but increased to this degree surprising or is it like in your mind no this makes total sense 
it makes sense to me because yeah. simply because people are online more right now and are bored, but also worried. And so it doesn't surprise me. I, what I don't know is what's the end result of it going to be in the long term. The short term is awesome. People are asking questions. They're, they're finding, um, you know, they're, they're finding connections with people who can help them with those questions and ultimately point them to Jesus. Um, but it doesn't surprise me for now. Now, if a year from now, they're like, Hey, we've still seen this huge spike that has stayed. I'd be surprised. Um, really? yeah, I would be, but maybe an increase that would be awesome if there is still an increase, but, uh, for now it doesn't surprise me. Okay. So here's, here's what I've been thinking about reading this article. Uh, I'll read a little more. It says, in March, BGEA launched uh, landing pages with coronavirus resources in six languages. The association also launched social media campaigns themed around fear. In the first four weeks, 173,000 people visited the website and more than 10,000 clicked a button indicating they made a decision for Christ. So here's what I find interesting. And even as I'm reading it, my opinion's changing a little bit. I've always felt a little strange about some of the classic altar call moment. Right. Um, and maybe some of that has like, my, it's just my own social wiring. But the other part of me sometimes feels like, ah, we just, is it a playing on the emotions of the moment or like there's this pressure to do it because somebody, else, you know, I just, there's a lot of factors. It is interesting to me that this many people would be engaging and clicking that they accept Jesus on a, on a website from the comfort of their laptop where there isn't any like environmental pressure, you know, there's no yeah. like, organ playing and there's no like come on this is your moment this is like it feels like that would be a weird moment to be coerced or to be dishonest about a decision you made now i'm not saying that um that happens all the time but i could see how for some people like yeah the altar call moment in hindsight for them they're like i was maybe just caught up in the emotions of it right right, right. i'm curious why you think in a, in a digital platform, it's, uh, it's risen so dramatically. Because I, and I like what Stetzer says here. He says, historically, we've always thought of evangelism being done with our feet and our faces. We go and we tell. But people feel okay that it might involve electrons and avatars in the 21st century. I just think that's an interesting shift for us. Yeah. For one, I didn't know there were these many evangelistic websites out there. I didn't either. You should go read this page on our Facebook page because yeah. there's a lot. There are a lot, uh, you know, maybe the, um, uh, the anonymity is helpful. Maybe the, Hmm. um, you know, people searching and having, um, legitimate fears right now and legitimate questions about mortality. Like what if I were to die? What's what it may. And I've not really ever thought about that, but maybe now I should start thinking about that. Um, and maybe the anonymity of it is allowing people to ask the questions that they really have and not feel the pressure like you're talking about. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I, you know, this is going to sound weird as a pastor to say this. I didn't know that there was this expansive evangelistic online presence, um, both in organizations and in numbers of people. So, you know, yeah, I learned something here and it's something for all of us to think about is what can each of us do maybe in this season to either support or to reach out to people online. I would encourage you to read the article because uh, I'm having the same experience you are. Like some of these numbers are, are pretty bonkers. And I also sort of agree with you that it, I don't know that you went full on shame, but don't you feel a little pressure as a pastor to like, 
to know about these things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, it's one of those moments where, like, as a pastor, I should know this, but yeah, that's kind of a surprise. <laughs> so, and here's a big reason why I bring this up as we wrap up, because uh, at the very end, the article says, if every Christian would send a gospel presentation to one person online and ask that person's opinion of it, uh, they said you would see a lot of people having a chance to know Christ and a lot of fruit. Mm. So to me, like, obviously, you know, you and I both pastor churches, so we're still you know, really intent on inviting people to our services, invite people to our experiences with the expressed hope that they would meet Jesus, right? That's, that's still happening, especially during Holy Week, Easter that's weekend. Right. But if anyone is listening, though, like go read this article and maybe find one of the many, many websites listed. Pick one of them. Pick the one that seems the least cheesy to you or it's in the language that makes yeah. no sense yeah. to you. And maybe just this weekend, send it to one friend. Just ask them, hey, what do you, what do you think of this? I love your thoughts on what this website says or what this article says. I think, I think they're right. I think the author, uh, David Roach, is, uh, is spot on when he's saying this, this really is an opportunity for us, not just pastors, not just you know the vocational Christians, but for all right. of us to really, I think, to see this as an opportunity to help people meet and encounter the real Jesus in an authentic way, in a way that isn't selling them anything or isn't, you know, it's no kind of pitch. And I, uh, I don't know, I'd be curious to see what this conversation looks like uh, a month from now, a year from now. That's really Absolutely. curious. Absolutely. So right, not, coming up. not too uh, real fast, not to get us completely off track. Uh, $64,000 question. I was right about it being a game show, but there was a game show in 1955 called the $64,000 question. There you go. Oh well, well, there you have it. Thank you for that tidbit, Brian. You're welcome. Uh, coming up next, a segment that we have done a number of times now. It's time for some good news. That's oh, I'm excited. Here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for some Hey everyone, I I love that rejoin music. That's we should give a, a nod to to our producer John. He uh, yeah. he created that out of thin air because he's super talented, and we know that uh, especially the last few weeks, the news has been filled with a lot of dark news, a lot of heavy news, and so we've been dedicating a couple times a week a whole segment just to talk about some good news, just good stuff that we're seeing happening in the world. And before I talk about that good news, Brian Fromm has even more good news for you. I do, because during this coronavirus pandemic, we are aware that many businesses have had to close their doors or reduce their hours. But we also know that there are many businesses out there that are still open and serving the public as best they can. So if you own or run a business that's open and operating, uh, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. That's all one word, 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out the brief form and we'll be compiling all of that information and sharing it with our listeners. Totally free, no catch. Go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. Look at that. Way to go, Brian. Well done. That is is some good news. And uh, I don't think I mentioned it yet, but real quickly, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. And wherever it is you get your podcast, I have loved doing this segment, by the way. Most of these stories come from a website called goodnewsnetwork.org. And if you are not regularly going to this website, you, you are missing out. Like I'm literally reading through them this morning and I'm just shouting across the house. The ones that I love to my wife. It's that's like, awesome. That's, that's amazing. Like it is a bright spot in my day. And I wanted to first highlight one that's uh, both good news, but it's also local news. It's about the Renew Project right here 
in Illinois. So here's uh, just a couple of minutes about what they're doing. And now some feel-good stories surrounding the pandemic. A group of refugee women in the suburbs are proving we are all in this together. Yeah, they're using their skills to help their new country. Chris Coffey shows us how they're making a difference. At the Renew Project in Glen Ellen, women from across the world are sewing for your safety. So when they go on, it stretches. And then there is also a piece of wire up here so you can clamp it closed over the nose. The refugees escaped violence in other parts of the world and resettled in DuPage County. Each artisan is a former or current refugee, and so we have taken them on as employees after they've graduated from a free sewing class. And so each one has a different story and background. They normally create bags and clutches for sale, but now the need for personal protective equipment is greater than ever. The artisans actually developed the face mask with the CDC guidelines. Now all 10 artisans are working from home, and the goal is to make about 700 of these face masks every week. At home, they are happy that they do have something to do because a lot of them, this is a big part of their income. Private donations are funding the masks, and the Renew Project donates them to organizations across the Chicago area. It's like a perfect partnership when they reached out and said, hey, we can create masks for you. And we were like more than happy because it is hard to find masks right now. Extremely important for us to give us the protective equipment that our staff needs to take the best care of our children as possible. So we're very appreciative of that partnership. The Renew Project says it's committed to making these masks for at least a month. Okay, so how cool is that, right? Oh, it's so good. It's really good. And hopefully people, uh, they hear that and they can make a donation or connect with them. And again, that's the Renew Project. I know a number of people who have partnered with them and can vouch for them. Great people, great organization. Highly encourage you to check them out. All right, so I have uh, four other stories. We might not have time to get to all of them, but uh, let's just do this roll of the dice style. Brian, you get to go first. All right. I love this one. Himalayan mountaintops are visible for the first time in 30 years as air pollution continues to plummet in India. That's crazy. As more and more global communities enforce stay-at-home orders, rates of air pollution have plummeted. The most notable example of this phenomenon emerged on the horizon of Jalandhar in Punjab, India, early this week. For the last 30 years, the tops of the Himalayan mountains have been obscured by air pollution and and smog. But now as the city streets are emptied of traffic and vehicles, the mountaintops were clearly visible to the millions of local communities in the quarantine. They have lots of tweets of people taking pictures and going, look, here's how it was. Here's how it is now. It is crazy. It really is. It's funny, too, because I never really thought about how much less air pollution, like somebody else, a buddy of mine, my friend Bryce actually sent me some articles about um, how, how much the earth typically vibrates and how little it's vibrating right now. There's a, really? there's, a term, there's a term for it. I can't remember what it is at the top of my head, but yeah, just because of how much less we're like moving, flying, driving, taking trains, like the whole earth itself is actually shaking less, which That's I think crazy. is remarkable. Okay. Here's the, here's the next one. You ready? Yep. 16-year-old has been using his flying lessons to deliver medical supplies to rural hospitals fighting COVID. Oh, wow. So it's 16-year-old TJ Kim may not have his driver's license yet, but he has been flying planes all over Virginia in order to deliver medical supplies to rural hospitals. The teen, who is a sophomore at Landon School in Bethsaida, Maryland, was inspired to embark on his delivery missions after his classes were canceled as a result of COVID-19. Without school or lacrosse to occupy his time, he turned his focus on his flying lessons. According to the Associated Press, Associated Press, Kim and his family then launched their Operation SOS, 
which stands for Supplies Over Skies. I love that so much. <laughs> Their SOS project as a means of keeping busy during the shutdowns while simultaneously serving others in need by delivering supplies to rural hospitals. When Kim first asked his flight instructor, Dave Powell, to use their flying lessons as delivery runs for Virginia hospitals, the pilot was awestruck. This is not only like a good story. It's also like, I love the youth just because they think like this, like 16 years old, man. What, what a soul. I love it. That's awesome. Next one. Uh, Tyler Perry picks up the tab for all groceries purchased during senior shopping hour at 73 supermarkets. Oh my, I love it. I love I it. Saw, uh, I saw this on TV. It was so good. Uh, it's not uncommon for movie mogul Tyler Perry to make national headlines for his good deeds. And this week he's being praised by social media users around the world after he was revealed to be an anonymous benefactor for senior shoppers. As thousands of elderly citizens browsed the aisles of supermarkets in New Orleans and Atlanta, they were stunned to hear that their groceries had been paid for by the Atlanta Angel. The unidentified do-gooder had picked up the tab for every shopper participating in the senior shopping hour at 44 Kroger locations and 29 Winn-Dixie's. Although the donor's identity had initially been kept a secret, supermarket management later confirmed that it was uh, Tyler Perry. Uh, He said senior and uh, higher risk Kroger shoppers in Metro Atlanta did receive a nice surprise at the register this morning when they learned Tyler Perry had paid in full. And if you ever see any of this, there's video of people when they learn, they don't find this out until they get a lot of them. So they get to the checkout line and people are just crying underneath their masks. It's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I I was going to say the same thing. Go find a couple of videos because uh, it's remarkable. My wife was telling me about it because she saw that he had done it at one grocery mark. And then I saw this article, like 73 supermarkets, man, that's so good. All right. So this, this last one actually isn't out of the good news network. It's from religionnews.com. And uh, man, what a story this is. It just simply says under St. Peter's dome, Catholic charities help homeless stay safe from coronavirus. It says while governments around the world enact strict measures to attempt to limit the spread of the coronavirus pandemic, People without a fixed home or living in extreme poverty remain stranded in deserted cities. Right now, the homeless continue to be homeless, Pope Francis said in an interview. Uh, Francis pointed to a photo of a temporary shelter for the homeless set up in a parking lot in Las Vegas where people slept between white lines on the pavement, despite the fact that many of the city's hotels were empty. But the homeless cannot go to a hotel, he said. That is the throwaway culture in practice in Italy, the first country to put a nationwide quarantine in place. The Catholic church has taken on the responsibility of assisting the homeless in the pandemic. I think that when the Pope makes these appeals to welcome those without a home and not merely focus on ourselves, it's very important because it rekindles the conscience of many Christians. And I, I, I completely agree. I don't have time to read the rest of the article, but it does say that um, later in the article, it says it's the church that for the most part uh, takes care of the poor. Catholic associations and the Pope are the ones on the move. I just, I read that and I thought, man, that's a story worth spreading. There's so, there's so much negativity, so much heartache and committing at least just one segment to celebrating some of the really good things in the world, I think is uh, probably a good use of our time. Absolutely. I love that. I love this segment. Hopefully even when things go back to quote unquote normal, we'll keep doing this segment anyway. I have a feeling we probably will. Well, coming up next, rather than end with some interweb insanity the way that we normally do, uh, because it is Good Friday and Brian and I are both pastors, and so this this day has uh, a particular gravity for the two of us, we wanted to end with uh, just a little bit of a Good Friday meditation, a Good Friday reflection. So that's how we're going to end the show coming up next here on The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life.
Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. And with this being Good Friday, we wanted to simply end reflecting on that day, reflecting on the cross, the crucifixion, the price that Jesus prayed. So I wrote something earlier today that I just want to simply read and then I'm going to ask Brian Fromm to close us in prayer and then we'll head into our weekend. So here's what I wrote. It's a crucifixion invented by the Persians, adapted by Alexander the Great, passed on to the Carthaginians, perfected by the Romans. Jewish historian Josephus called crucifixion the most wretched of deaths. Roman philosopher Cicero forbade even the thought of it, stating, far be the very name of the cross, not only from the body, but even from the thought, the eyes, and the ears of Roman citizens. In fact, this method of execution was so horrendously agonizing, a word was invented to describe it, excruciating. The word literally means from the cross. The cross, a symbol of shame and disgrace reserved for only the most despised criminals. An icon for those found on the wrong side of the empire. Wearing a cross as jewelry then would be a lot like wearing a small electric chair around your neck today. Now before victims were led to the cross, however, they would first have to be scourged. The scourging was inflicted by something called a flagrum, a whip made of several straps with metal balls to tenderize and hooks of bone, metal, or glass to rip apart. The scourging was so severe that the victim would often go into shock from loss of blood, never even making it to the crucifixion at all. Now, Jesus, after being forced to walk through a series of false trials, underwent this brutal flogging and then was given a 100-pound crossbar called a patabulum, to carry on his exposed back to his execution. The 650-yard road he walked was called the Via Dolorosa, which means the way of suffering. It would have likely been lined with people ready to mock, insult, and spit on Jesus as he limped toward Golgotha. Unable to make the nearly one-mile journey, Jesus collapsed under the weight of the crossbar, likely bruising his heart. Simon of Cyrene was appointed to help him the remainder of the way. Upon reaching his destination, his beard was plucked, the ultimate act of shame in a first century context, and a crudely fashioned crown of thorns was forcefully shunted down his scalp, one of the most vascular areas of the body. Then Jesus Christ, the young carpenter, had iron nails that were actually more like spikes, six inches in length, driven into the most sensitive nerve centers in the human body, his hands and feet. None of this was done in private either. In fact, quite the contrary. 
Crowds would gather to gawk, to mock, and hurl insults of their own, akin to nailing a naked bloody man outside the entrance of a ballpark for everyone to witness. Despite many ancient depictions, it is commonly believed that the victims were actually crucified at eye level, so the sufferer would be forced to make eye contact with the crowds who came to insult these men in their final moments, often hanging on their cross for as long as nine days. While others being crucified typically responded to the jeers of the crowd with curses of their own, we're giving a stunning picture in the Gospels of Jesus loving, forgiving, and caring for those around him. Amidst the blood, sweat, and urine, we have an unbelievable glimpse of the crucified Messiah abounding in love even in his final moments. It was in these final moments that Jesus declared to tell us thy, it is finished. Now this word is actually written in the perfect tense, so it doesn't simply mean this happened, but maybe more accurately, this happened is still happening and is forever done. All the evil, wickedness, iniquity converged Onto this one point, which was and is Jesus Christ. Sin did its worst to him, and Jesus was able to fully exhaust its force. This was the ultimate defeat of sin and violence. Mm. It was at this moment that the temple curtain, the curtain that only the high priest was allowed to pass, tore not from the bottom to top, but from top to bottom, signifying that God had opened his presence to the world, granting access to the cross of Jesus. This, I believe, is the scandal of the cross. It's a picture of a loving father on a divine rescue mission to save broken humanity. Good Friday, like communion, is in many ways about remembering, remembering the suffering and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But for the Christ follower, it's also a celebration of the torn curtain, access granted, and the dawn of resurrected life. And it is in this newness that we, as we live in love, turning a symbol of imperial terror and imitation, into a symbol of relentless hope. Mm. Brian, would you pray for us? Yeah, Father, on this Good Friday, uh, may we be uh, feel the weight again of what Jesus has done on our behalf, Lord. And may we be thankful. Lord, we are uh, grateful that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. And um, as we move towards the celebration of Easter Sunday, Lord, may we feel the gravity of Good Friday mm-hmm. and uh, be again um, blown away by the lengths that, that you went um, to bring forgiveness and life. Uh, Father, we're grateful. And uh, even amidst these strange times, uh, we're grateful for the Easter celebration we're embarking on. Father, I pray your blessing over those people out, there, out in our listening audience who are struggling, struggling with current circumstances. May they see the hope in the cross and the hope in the empty tomb uh, this Easter season. God, we love you. We trust you. Uh, for we know you're good. Uh, it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 Have a great weekend, everyone. Mm-hmm.